Hello and welcome to another episode of the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and my co-host for this week is Mr. Toby Zarp. Hello, hello, how are we all? And uh, we are going to be looking at George Franju's 1960 uh, poetic horror classic, Eyes Without a Face. And boy, is it a classic. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess we'll open up as we usually do. I'll quickly read the uh, Criterion synopsis for everybody. Uh, at his secluded chateau in the French countryside, a brilliant obsessive doctor attempts a radical plastic surgery to restore the beauty of his daughter's disfigured countenance at a horrific price. Directed by the supremely talented George Franju, is rare in horror cinema for its odd mixture of the ghastly and the lyrical, and it has had a major in- and it has been a major influence on the genre in the decades since its release. There are images here of terror, of gore, of inexplicable beauty that, once seen, are never forgotten. Bum, bum, bum. And it is true. Um, all right, so like. Kicking things off, like, uh, the reason you, you're joining me for this episode is because you are a bit of a horror fan, a genre fan. Oh yes, I do enjoy my horrors, they're, they're what I do like to watch. <laughs> I knew nothing of this, <laughs> I knew nothing of this film and, or the director, mm. uh, but I enjoyed it very much. Do you, do you know much about the, um, have you seen much of the director's previous works? Or None whatsoever, and I, this is a film as well that I'd always heard about, yep. and like had seen images of before, and had never gotten around to watching, mm-hmm. um, so I was really looking forward to it, especially now, putting this out, uh, into the first, like, into the second week of October, so right it's, before Halloween. it's, uh, kind of good timing. Yeah. Hmm. Very much. Uh, but yeah, initial thoughts. How'd you feel about it? I can see where a lot of directors got influenced with this film. Mm. That's my biggest takeaway from it, I think. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was, yeah, really, yeah, quite really good. It was just, I didn't know anything about it. Um, so I went into it pretty blind. And, um, yeah, it was, I don't know what to say, really. It, um... Yeah, it, it's... It's a film that just kind of gets going right away, like, in the sense of, uh, like, we open with a mysterious... We, first of all, we've got that um, that score, which we'll talk about a bit later, I yeah, think. Yeah, I, I wrote that down. That was, um, that was, that was crazy, that, that, that music right at the very start. It's almost part. like the calliope kind of carnival music, yeah. and that ends up being uh, kind of her theme throughout the movie as well, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, so like we open with that, and it's it's all of a sudden like it throws you in the deep end of here's this seemingly well put together woman driving a car and then dragging a dead body out and dumping it in a river. It kind, like, kind of comes out of nowhere. It's not what I was expecting at all, really. But then you know it's a '60s horror film, so yeah. But it, it's like by opening with that, you immediately kind of perk you up. You like tone, you set the tone, really. Yeah, and you're like, all right, where are we going with this? Like this is I was okay. You're opening with. Dumping of a dead body. How did we get to this point? Yeah. <laughs> are we going to get a backstory, or are we just going to see the next victim? I guess. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I guess that leads into something else that I would I'd, I'd bring up a little bit later on. It's with I'll bring it up a little bit later on, but it has to do with her dumping the body. It's how many have she done before? Has she done? this before yeah yeah and then you, later on you get she's the, so method- methodical about it it looks like she's got a purpose and she knows what she's doing with the, the whole dumping of the body mm. so 
seems like she's got experience. And then it's weird. You like uh, the the thing that really threw me with this film was later on you find out that she possibly was part of these experiments as well. I think she was. I think that she. Uh, well, I mean, you see her like grafting yeah. scar and everything. I, I think there's a line that the. Uh, doctor or the father or whatever you want to call him the professor yeah she mentions about him how he saved her from might have been a car no no the daughter was in the car crash crash, but he saved her from something and it was only a partial face plant not a full one yeah uh and it's just like okay this river runs deep um and then yeah we're kind of what i found super okay so we go from an instantly of dumping of a dead body like okay what huh to then... It's the scene with... Uh, isn't it him It's him doing a lecture. Yeah, the lecture. Yeah. With the, all the hoity-toity people. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, which, which, upper class. When it makes you remember, like, oh, yeah, doctors used to just kind of give talks and old people would go and be like, hmm, what yeah. a marvel we live in. And smoke <laughs> while he's talking and stuff. <laughs> I, I love how all the doctors smoke. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's classic. Yeah. Well, the, the cigarette, the tobacco, it, smo- it soothes the lungs. <laughs> it's true. It's good for you. Yeah. What about that? Um, but, yeah, and that's, that's where I really got interested because, I like, the little bit I knew about this film, I knew it was about a doctor doing these things so I knew he was a villain yeah but what made this kind of stand out especially for a 1960s film is he is not your every uh, like everyday run-in-the-mill psycho you empathize with him like I didn't actually originally originally I didn't think he was the villain like obviously he was the, the bad guy yeah. but at doubt like his intentions are good even though, <laughs> Even though it's the worst method for it yeah. ever. Yes. Um, but, like, what I was meaning by that is, like, he's not your average kind of he's villain. He's He's... Well, yeah. <laughs> A Batman villain. Yeah, well, I mean, God, the... I mean, Mr. Freeze... Uh, Dr. Fre- yeah, Mr. Freeze is doing it to save his, his wife. wife. Yeah. yeah. It all makes sense. It's the same story. Yeah. Batman writers are hacks. <laughs> um, but... The fact that he is a doctor, he's a professor giving a lecture. Yeah. He's an intelligent, well-regarded person in society. Yeah, well-respected, yeah. He, and, like, you know, you have him leave his lecture and everyone's just like, marvellous doctor, well done. And, and even, like, even the police, like, when the police call him in to identify his body, they yeah. just, foot, like, full take his word for it, for, for it, even though that she has no face and only eyes. And he looks at her for, like, half a second, <laughs> like, not my daughter. Yeah. It's like... No, no, it, no, sorry. Yes, it is my do- daughter, even though and the doc- it isn't. The doctor's comment is like, the face could only have been taken off with a scalpel. Yeah. And it's like, well, he's just done a lecture on, on a chance. On, on <laughs> skin crafts. <laughs> red flag, anybody? <laughs> and they just they just think nothing of it. Yeah. But um, it, it's like, yeah, those those opening moments where you're just like, okay, this is going to be interesting because, like, like we've said, he's this high society kind of well-regarded person, an educated man, and someone that we would not normally associate with a psychotic killer. But then that scene where he's identifying the body and kind of falsely claims that it is his daughter to help kind of with the cover-up stuff is then followed by this sad, sad man coming up and saying, like, oh, I got a call that it might be my daughter. And he's like, no, it isn't. Your your daughter's still, like, alive. Even though he knows it is that guy's daughter and he killed her. It is like, all of a sudden, you're like... Oh, this is what type of psychopath we're dealing yeah. with. This is interesting, and that's the point in the film where I'm like, you, it, you know, the famous DiCaprio thing of like, you, you have my interest now. You have my attention. Yeah. Like, where are we going with this? And then it just ends up being this beautiful 
poetic slow burn of a film. Yeah, like, it was a bit of a. It was more of a slow burn than I thought it was going to be because it gets to a point um, when they're trying to lay the trap for. To, yeah, and, yeah, and that that happens. Like I was thought it was going to be because you know it's from the sixties. I thought. It was going to be, you know, how a lot of those films tend to the first two acts tend to be quite like longer than the third act. Mm-hmm. And the third act just it just kind it of just like hits you and it just bang and then it's let's over. wrap everything up. Yeah. yeah, and and then the start of like well the end of the second, well the start of the third act when they're setting up the scene, I thought it was just going to be finished, but no, there's another half an hour left to go and it just. Mm. I guess it tries to justify the daughter. Yeah, well, that's doing a bit of research. I found it interesting. Apparently, because uh, this was based off of a book, actually. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I want to get who was written by. Actually, uh, it was written by Pierre Boulot and Thomas uh, Nasajak. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had also uh, written books that had been adapted by uh, Henri Georges Clouseau into Le Diabolique, which is a fucking amazing movie okay. and uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo okay. they wrote the book that, that was based oh, wow. so they are very experienced with kind of slow burn yeah. thrillers that kind of, yeah. um, and apparently in the original book it was totally focused on the doctor okay. and it painted him more as a kind of through the perspective of a villain and a psycho and a yeah. killer and um, George Franju made the like the direct choice to shift the perspective to that of uh, the, his daughter and what she's going through, and to make and in by doing that is making it completely more sympathetic. Like it's shifting both the tone of the movie and also how we view the characters in a really interesting way. Yeah, well, it definitely is doing that. I mean, I, I guess what I saw what they were doing with the daughter, but I still didn't. It didn't, it, you didn't get still, it? I still didn't, like, I still didn't think that's very redeeming because, like... Oh, no, no, I'm not even saying redemption yeah. aspect. Like, I, I, redemption isn't a, even a word that comes to mind with this film. Yeah, like, because you know how she lets the last girl free and then... Yeah. It's, you know, it's, I guess, I, I guess I took that part the wrong way. Mm. See, see, to me, like, the second we're, like, introduced to... Yeah, when we first um, are introduced to Christiane, the daughter... I mean, obviously, the first thing that comes to mind is that amazing mask. Yeah, that was just creepy as just... Yeah, I mean, obviously, massive influence on modern-day horror, like Halloween. John Carpenter has actively said that's where he got the idea for a faceless, kind of featureless mask. Yeah. It's just haunting and weird, and to me... Like, Uh, especially... uh, Sorry, sorry. no, you go. I was going to say, the scene after she's kind of... Um, the other woman is talking to her, I think it's Louisa is her name, um, is talking over, like, you know, oh, your father's going to help you and blah, blah, blah. And then we, we have, like, a five-minute scene of just um, her running around with the mask on. Yeah. And it's these over-exaggerated movements, and there's just music. And I was like, oh, shit, this is an opera. I was going to say, her acting with that mask on was really quite good. Yeah, Edith tells, Scobin. She's tells the best. So, tells so much with her eyes. Mm. Um, it's, uh, it was really... Really quite great to see. Um, yeah, just really well acted, I thought. Yeah. It, they, it, they, they all were. They all played their part really well. Oh, most definitely. It, it's, But yeah, just seeing her kind of run around the house and things, it's uh, uh, over-exaggerated movements, like hand on the forehead and things. It is, it's like we are watching an opera. They're conveying everything we need to know about this character purely in the way they're shooting her and what her movements are and without her saying a goddamn thing and you're just like... Perfect. I know everything I need to know. They they did that. There was a scene when um, 
the father comes back from he drives in and he he walks the whole walking up the stairs mm-hmm. that to like a five minute long scene. Yeah, well. that's the lead into this. Scene, yeah, yeah, and that's a similar kind of scene. It says so much about him, and I was wondering why that was in there, but it it just says a lot about him as a character. You know, mm. just going straight. Very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's like cold and clinical. Yeah, that's, that's pretty precise. Yeah, precise, determined, not Mm. determined's not the right word, but precise, clinical is a great word for it. Mm. Um, but yeah, the the note I wrote during all of that stuff as well is that this film is doing everything in its power to try and strike a mood and tone with the audience, whether it be through like the high contrast lighting, the silence... Yeah, the amount like, of silence in this film where there's no music and there's no dialogue, it is just... The only music is that scene with the um, Louise, was it? Oh, no, there's a surprising amount of music actually kind of hidden through it, but you end up kind of... You just focus on that one, yeah. like, that jingle, I guess. Yeah, I, I, the carnival music, I like to call it. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then also there's a lot of low-angle shots and everyone, for the most part at the beginning, is dressed all in black. It's some really good like uh, use of the camera what, camera as well with uh, especially in the first scene with the police. Mm. One of them comes in and he sit he stands next to a mirror and in the mirror it's perfectly framed the partner that he's having a conversation to. Yeah, it's just very old good style of like film like camera use with with mirrors and everything and you can see everything in one shot. Yeah. And it just stayed on that one shot for the whole conversation. And yeah, it, it's that type of filmmaking that I absolutely love where it's like, why... I always go back to there's a great clip of um, Samuel L. Jackson talking about Marvel films and where he like says to the director, he's like, oh, you're an auteur now. You're going you're gonna to be like over the shoulder, over the shoulder, mid, mid, long, yeah. close up, close up, medium, wide. It's like, motherfucker, you, like got, you got this eight, like, eight yeah. angles ago. Like, actually learn... Yeah, it's don't, just, don't do it as a composition in the edit so you have it from every angle. No, actually know what you want to shoot. Yeah, just let it play like the same play as well. And that makes it way more tense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By having... It's it's like the ultimate thing of Hitchcock and De Palma and all of these, and, it, like, you know, uh, Clouseau as well, where it's just, let a scene sit. Yeah. And you... It will draw the audience in if it's engaging. And if you've done your job as a filmmaker well, you're just going to get into the scene and Franju is nailing it with this um yeah it's I was a little trepidatious with this one because again I'd heard a lot about it like knowing it's in the thousand one films see for where you die knowing uh the influence it's had how much like people like Guillermo del Toro adore this film you'd see Raimi enjoying it Edgar enjoying it yeah just just a lot of the shots in the film it just but to me it was more Del Toro is the one that I jump to for sure because and again it's the word I'm going to keep going back to it's the poetic nature of the horror in this it's presented it in not even a a storybook fashion it's like an old fairy tale yeah and it's very similar to the stuff that he does with say Devil's Backbone or Pan's Labyrinth yeah or even Crimson Peak, where it's just these beautiful... Majestic scenes. Yeah, and what I found really interesting about it was um, the reception that this film had when it first came out. Yeah. Um, apparently it was met with a, a range from general disdain to disappointment. Oh, really? It was really uh, not, uh, not well received at all. A lot of people... Um, uh, they claimed it was a, just a repetition of German Expressionism, and uh, they it was a failure on Franju's part as a director leaping from... Because he was a really promising documentarian. Oh, okay. Jumping over to feature films, and they were like, we thought you had better in you. 
Oh, really? And it was mainly due to the fact that horror at that time, especially in France and around Europe and things, was considered a B-genre and, like, a schlock thing. And it's like, why would you bother? Why would you do something like that? That's not high art. Uh, whereas his actual mission was, well, why can't it be? Yeah. Why, 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 why is this genre relegated to... Yeah, especially in this time, because it used to be one that was considered high art, like, you know, 20, 30 years previous. And then, and then now it had just been kind of relegated and he was just like, well, no, I'm actively trying to bring craft and style to... Yeah, exactly. Like, just trying to do something different. Yeah, I didn't even, I didn't, didn't know that. Um, But I suppose it kind of makes sense as well, like, it is that, that kind of a movie where if that era, that stuff's not really around so much, you know, horror, and he's bringing something new in, of course it's not going to be well-liked. Well but you look back on it now with with the eyes that we have and you yeah. see what he was trying to do and you can really appreciate what he did do and what he what he was able to accomplish. Yeah, it was uh, re-released both in 1986 and then 2003. Okay. So it's, it's been obviously gone on to have a massive... A cult following, yeah. yeah, and you know you have people like uh, Mark Commode, the uh, yeah. film reviewer over in the UK, who just I think it's in his top ten films of all time. Yeah. Like being, and you know people like Guillermo just being absolute cheerleaders for this film and being like, these idiots didn't get it. This <laughs> film is a goddamn masterpiece. Watch it again. And um, it's one where modern day film critics and even some from the time have actually reappraised it and being like, yeah, actually we like that's great, and it's not. Like, we would, I guess, just idiots then? <laughs> Didn't get what he was going for? Yeah, I mean, I suppose, but... I guess with everything with film, though, you can look back on lots of films that were would have come out with salty receptions yeah. and thought... But, yeah, we're not talking about other films now. No. <laughs> but it, it's... The thing that I find weird with it, though, is... It's not like the film is subtle. No. Like, it... it you know, you have... Especially in what it's its messages and the way it's presenting them as well. It's not a subtle film. And so I wonder if that's why their reception was kind of like, Ugh, yeah, of course, we get it. She's freeing the dogs because she herself is caged and that's what, you know, it's... We get it. Well, but, at the sa- <laughs> but at the same time, it's done in such a beautiful... And again, like that operatic kind of sense. And I don't know if I'm just saying it because of wearing the mask like Phantom of the Opera or something, but... Yeah. No, I... I we- I I I I uh, I don't know. I didn't love it. I probably didn't love it as much as you did. So I, I can I can appreciate it for what it is, and I can look back on it and go, yeah, this was an influence. That's what I my biggest takeaway for the film is. Mm. I don't get the whole opera sweeping gestures and all of that. I can see where you're getting that from, mm. but I guess I don't really have that much theatre background, so yeah, I, I it's not as noticeable to me. Well, yeah, I think it is just the camera angles, the way that she's dressed all in white, yeah, while the majority like of everyone the, else is dressed in black. The makeup was absolutely phenomenal. Like, I know a lot of people would talk about the actual skin, like, taking off the... the the face. Oh no, we're gonna get but, to that. <laughs> yeah, but the the actual slideshows. There was a scene like where it was just slideshows. Where all oh, the, the, the progression of the necrosis setting yeah, in, and the, the, when the graft wasn't working. And I thought that was just just amazing. For, Incredible for, for back then. It's like all of those kind of little things is what I really appreciate the film. Yeah. As far as the story goes, it's just some. It sucks to say now because I've seen a lot of 
films that have been made after the era, mm-hmm. which have obviously taken influence from that and that story, which is an older story, but I've seen it before. Yeah. You know, and so that it's kind of like, uh, but everything else from a technical and acting standpoint, I can appreciate and I can really enjoy and get, get in, get down with mm. it. Get down in. Get down with, <laughs> get down with that. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the shame with some of these, like, older classics that you discover with Criterion, where it is like, oh, I get where all of these things I've seen before have now come from. Yeah. But the problem is, by proxy of having seen and heard this all before... It takes away a yeah. lot... It takes away a lot of the impact that it probably would and should have and mm. does deserve, which which sucks, but it is it is what it is, and there's... That's, that's all it... Like, yeah. I'm glad I saw the film, but I probably wouldn't go back and watch it again. Yeah, fair enough. Um... And that's not to shit on the film. No, no, not at all. But uh, yeah, again, I'm, I'm singing its praises mainly from uh, that, you know, th- that legacy standpoint and the influence. And I don't know, it was, again, just something about those... The style of it really captured me and, you know, that, that kind of over-the-top kind of nature of it and, you know, the... Well, everything I've said previously that's yeah, made yeah, me would, which, which I, I, I can I, I can appreciate which I get but I, I guess that just didn't translate as much for me as it did for, for you mm-hmm. um, which kind of sucks no but, it's fine <laughs> but it's like hey I, you don't have to like every movie you watch I know <laughs> I know what are you every other film critic in the yeah, world yeah. <laughs> um, alright well well. <laughs> well at the hey I like that guy. Um, all right, so how have we gotten over 20 minutes in and we haven't actually talked about the surgery scene yet? Yeah, just briefly touched on it. Yeah. That was, yeah, really crazy well done, and I yep. would have loved to have been in the cinema to see that. Or, like, just to just be a fly on the wall today seeing people from back then react to seeing something like that. All right, so when uh, the film played at the Edinburgh Film Festival in 1960, yep. and reportedly seven audience members fainted during that oh, scene, uh, to which George Franju said, well, I guess that I now understand why Scotsmen wear skirts. <sighs> Bam! Pow! <laughs> With the great calls. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is hardcore, yeah. even by today's standards, really. Like it's like it's the classic less is more as well, mm. which is I, I love that that kind of mentality because you don't need to show everything no. for it to be effective, and that's what I found a lot. With they they really waited with the whole mask thing. They didn't show her face like till quite probably till the very end and it was blurry as well you never actually oh it's it's when she wakes up and sees and she's standing over the bed without the mask on and she's it's that famous like scream shot it's creepy as like there's the whole first couple of scenes with her it's only shot from behind from the back of the head we don't need to see it you don't need to see it I mean obviously back then it would have been a lot harder to have makeup on and do all of that which from a technical standpoint I can understand but it doesn't need to. It still works. Mm. Like it but works then, better than better than showing it. I think, and especially with the mask. Like I mean, shit. You go to the title of the film, mm. "Eyes Without a Face," and actually having a featureless white thing yes. is way creepier. So when you told me what the movie was called, "Eyes Without a Face," and I, I typed it into the Criterion Channel to watch it, I had no idea what the movie was about, and then it gets to the mask, and then the title made sense. Yeah. Eyes without a face. You only have eyes showing through this featureless <laughs> white had void. I no idea what. Yeah. Like, it made no sense. And that's about half an hour into the film mm. until I realised 
okay. I get where I get where I we're get going. With this. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, that <laughs> surgery scene. What makes it so incredible? And I think that is the scene that makes like apart from all the you know you've got the visuals of the mask, you've got the the kind of um, you've got that amazing score as well. You've got all these things going for it. But it is that surgery scene that makes this film, I yeah, think. Yeah, that, that's the standout scene. For yeah, sure. and makes people kind of pay attention to this one. Look, that's that's. I'm actually surprised that this film isn't known about more purely because of that scene. Like, yeah. it seems like that's a very influential kind of like that scene alone for future generations. Of oh film. yeah, yeah. And you don't just don't hear about it. Like, that's I, mm. I have no idea. It, and it's what makes it so. Tense. It's it's not scary. It's no, just no. tense, and it's because it is slow and methodical. It Wipe ta- my brow. Yeah, it takes its time as he's doing the cutting around each area, but slipping th- in the whatever you call those, or the forceps to kind of yeah. But then I noticed as well when he goes to do around the eyes, he's kind of shaking a bit. Yeah, and he's sweating bullets because there's like lots of little like um, he mentions a lot of little things like because uh, he's previous time it he, it was all scarred up and it didn't work it didn't work yeah. he was like now I have to do it all in one big piece yeah so he was like already real tense because he had to take mm. off the whole thing in one piece whereas before he'd done it in bits and pieces he'd done it segmented which and... is when it leads into him talking to his the secretary or whatever mm. uh, like he that's that's how they mentioned that Blah 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 blah. That she'd been done before because it was only a smaller piece. Yeah. And it, but it's what like him going so, like yeah. I I wonder if it is that he's nervous because this is the first time he's having to do it all in one piece, or if it's like the whole, hey, I shouldn't be doing this at all. And he's sweaty, and he's shaky, and he's visibly nervous, and it's this little subtle thing. He's having a moral dilemma. Yeah, because he's being presented as the most calm and calculated and controlling that character. I don't think so. I think it's probably more that he's trying to do it in one piece, because he doesn't Mm. change his tune throughout the rest of the film like but he's equally as sweaty and nervous the next time when he's up they're about to do it when the police show up as well and it's it's this little subtle character thing uh, that I yeah, wonder true. If, if it is that thing of he he's self aware enough to break. yeah he, he, like this is taking as big a toll on him as it is on Christian yeah poss- possibly I mean there could yeah actually yeah most likely because doesn't that girl that he takes the face off she kills herself yep. and she jumps out the window. Yep. There's a crazy... that When she's lying on the ground, her pupils, like, dilate. Yeah. I don't know how they did that. Yeah, it's not... It's weird. I, I have yeah. no idea how they did that. That's, I've got a note of it. It's like, how did they make her pupils shrink? Like, it's all one I sense. guess let's have something over her face yeah. with eyes and then just pull it away quickly. It's yeah. crazy. But maybe that took it, like, started to bring home what he is actually... Because doing. previously, I mean, we're not privy to this, but it's usually the assistant that is taking care of the bodies. Yeah. It's not... he He's yet to essentially get his hands dirty, for lack of yeah. a better term. Yeah, And this is like thrusting him into the unpleasantness of Oof. all that he's doing. Yeah, the clean-up crew. Yeah, it, it's it's these little subtle things with his yeah. performance that I, make I me kind of... I hadn't thought of that, but yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. But then it's... What's my note here? Sorry. Yeah, and then it is really after that suicide scene where he he shifts as a character 
and yeah, it is that slow unraveling. I, I really viewed it as that, and it's it, he he's gone from this controlling character to someone who's now barely in control, and he just seems to be doing his best to maintain order, like sort of telling her like smile, but not too much. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, it's 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 trying to be that demand like domineering person, but he's sucking at it now. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, like that makes sense. And then it ends up like, which then leads us into that slow power shift at the end, where it does end up being Christiane's story, where she eventually takes. So, like, she's also I I don't know that, <coughs> that whole fairy tale aspect of her being on like the fourth floor, hidden away, yet that whole like Sleeping Beauty locked in the tower thing. Yeah. And, you know, the third act is her essentially taking back the power away from the Doctor and kind of... Well, yeah, that's like the redemption, I guess. The redemption aspect that I... Like, you know, she's taking control of her own life. Yeah, and because I get the sense that she doesn't want any any part well, of it. I don't think that she does either, but she's also let it happen. Like, she could have killed herself. She could have... Well, she tries to, and she yeah, actively says multiple times, I, I want to kill myself, I, I, and then they're, they're actively not letting her. Kind of forced, forcing her into it. Yeah. Uh, so I do like that aspect that she did kill them. Spoilers. Mm. <laughs> the yeah. dogs killed the the father. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll get to that a whole section towards the end. But yeah, the, like the other note that I have in that as well is it's that breaking down of why is, and I think it, it helps inform her character for the third act, like where he's going and what's happening with it all is after the surgery is a you know success in massive air quotes. <laughs> initially, he he sees her with the the new face and things, and he's going off to work. He doesn't hug her. But instead, he massages his work. He's looking at... He's, like, embracing his work, not her as an individual. It's kind of messed up. Didn't even notice that. Yeah, he like, you'd expect him to kiss her or give her a hug, but instead he gets her by the chin and just kind of looks at the work and is like, hmm, and then kind of walks off. And well, you're it's like, not her face, so... But it is, though, <laughs> but, you know... The, Skin is skin. It's, yeah. it's 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 her bone structure. That's why that's why I love that little twist where you're like, oh, we're we going full face off here, where it's gonna be she's gonna look like that new person. It's like, no, idiot. Like that's not how that works. <laughs> Again, I didn't even notice that part. Mm. God, I was stupid. <laughs> <coughs> but um, yeah. I mean, shit. On that note, do we talk about the face off of it all? <laughs> this, I suppose, yeah. Uh, John Woo has actively said that when he was doing the face swapping scenes in Face Off, he watched this film multiple times as a <laughs> reference. See, that, that, I, that is actually true. Yeah, that makes sense, but I wouldn't have Because if you think about it, it's the similar it. kind of shots where it's like that slow tracing around and then the suction of lifting up and you've got the reveal of the bloodiness there. I haven't seen Face Off in years. Yeah, and then also uh, some other people have read into the whole thing of... When Christiane, like, is finally free and, like, lets the girl go and then she, uh, lets all the dogs go and then she opens dogs a cage, she opens a cage full of white doves and then she walks out into the night with white oh, doves behind is that why, um, John Woo and doves. Yeah. Everyone's like, see, it's a reference. <laughs> well, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Hmm. I mean, yeah, there, there's heaps of references with this film. I mean, Pedro Almodovar essentially almost remade it with the skin I live in. Well, like, the scene with, um, like, this, there's heaps of shots that I can just see being replicated. The number one is when Louise is at the secretary. Yeah. She's picked up one of the girls, the first, one of the ones that's getting her face taken off, and 
they've got the camera right at the end of the car and it's going straight up to some boom gates as the train's going mm-hmm. past and the camera is just on the front of the car and goes straight to the gates and stops. Yeah. It's such like a shot that, yeah, Edgar Wright would do, mm-hmm. Sam Raimi with the tree, you know. They kind of hyper-stylized. Very fast moving to a sudden stop. Yeah. Like, it's creating that urgency within. Yeah, yeah. and I, there's heaps of little things like that that I can just see being very, you know, lots of directors that like stylized directors that we like would have seen this film and gone that's really unique Mm. I like what they've done there and the other one I was wondering is how much I I looked up and couldn't really find much other than like the odd little mention but I I couldn't help but think how much this film had a play in Cronenberg the body horror and the surgical nature of his films Oh, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, there was just something that was in the back of my mind, because, uh, uh, like we said, it's, it's Halloween, I'm doing some horror yeah, movie. I know, like, I, I haven't been, so I haven't seen any Cronenberg in ages, mm. but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose so. And I guess that's obviously. also why it was so shocking when it first came out, like, confronting and actually showing, like, again, drawing, like, I kind of mentioned it at the beginning, but it's it's a killer or a psychopath unlike we've ever seen, because it's not it's hack and type. slash... It's a, it's, I find it an empathetic, an empathetic Ooh. view of a like a serial killer. Yeah, and it, it's in, 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 and it's like, maybe empathy is not the right word, but it's it's not painting him as a traditional villain. Sympathetic, yeah, to some sim- degree. I, yeah. It's not. Tra- he's not a traditional villain because, yeah. like I said earlier, he's doing it for the right reasons. Ooh. In quotation marks, yeah. and and we're getting also the fact that not just to save his daughter, but also. To further his like thesis or his, his it's, it's his, furthering his work, and yeah. that's and that's what I found interesting when we move into the third act. It's like, well, what is actually important to this guy? Is it the work or actually trying to save his daughter? No, I think it was and more that, the work. Yeah, and it blur, and that's it's kind of been this blurred Lines, line, yeah. and then at that point, it really shifts over to that's what this is about, which then leads Christiane to kind of realize that break it is, free yeah, and, realize that it is about his work and yeah. not about her, and uh, she she lets the dogs out. <laughs> to to him. Who let the dogs out? <laughs> yeah. And again, that's also that wonderful thing, like drawing it back to like he was this controlling character who's now like, you know, he has a entire garage full of cages of animals, like dogs that he is caging up and trying to control, and now they're let loose and yeah. against him. Like like I said, it's not a subtle film, <laughs> but it's great at the same time. Yeah. Um I also have to uh, I'm pretty sure this is one of the first occasions where Surgery and medical procedures is used as a kind of negative, like you know, a, oh, a really? bad thing. That's as well why it's so unique and different. Like, oh. you know, obviously horrible surgeries had been done yeah, in history, oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> of course, for the first time on screen. Yeah, actually showing, hey, our psychopath is a surgeon who's going to actually be performing yeah, surgery. Frankenstein. See, but Frankenstein's not doing it on people. He's trying to create person, a person. <laughs> He's tr- he he create person. <laughs> Okay. He's he's not yeah, actually. I'll give you that one. Yeah. But it's a good, it was a good poll. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. And again, that music is just absolutely amazing. Um. Cinematography performances across the board. It yeah. is a really solid. It is a very movie. solid film, and I would recommend it to anybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Um. Is there anything we've missed? Not really. I'm trying to think myself. Hmm. Um, well, on that note, uh, do you want to hear a little bit of trivia about the film? Sure. 
so it was originally released in the US in an edited version uh, but under the title The Horror Chamber of Dr. Faustus. Oh, okay, that's silly. Uh, yep, especially considering that there is no one in the film called Dr. Faustus. <laughs> what did they edit out? Uh, the surgery scene for the most part. Wow. Because that was so... Yeah, full on. ...bloody and yeah. shocking for that time. Uh, the initial release of the film was met with uh, negative reactions from film critics. One fem- uh, French film critic stated that the film was in a minor genre <clears throat> and quite unworthy of Franju's abilities. Franju uh, responded by saying that the film was his attempt to get the minor genre to be taken seriously. <laughs> I, li- I like his attitude. Yeah. Just like, fuck you, I'll make what I want to make. Don't judge it. Yeah. Um, I kind of already mentioned that John Carpenter has said that um, Edith Scott's mask in the film was a major influence for Michael Myers. Um, yeah, George Franju himself never considered the film to be a horror film, but instead uh, felt it was a tale of anguish. Yeah, I suppose it is a horror film. It is. At its core, it is a horror film, but whether or not he... I think what makes the best horror films is the director and the filmmakers approaching it not from the sake of I want to make a horror film. I it's like okay, I don't I want to make I don't, a film. I don't think like that about. he made. I don't think he made a horror film. I don't think that he did. Mm. I think that it's more of a thriller. I but I don't yeah. think that they really well, the, the, like using his quote of like it's a film anguish, about anguish. Yeah. It just happens to be Have in the horror elements. Yeah, be in the horror genre, but yeah. that's not what the film. I, I don't. Yeah, is. I, I agree yeah. with him. I, mm. Like I don't think it's te- I, technically it's a horror, but I don't think it's a horror. Yeah, you, you know, like. Um, although the film was passed by European censors upon its original release in 1960, the film's disturbing facial surgery scene uh, is still controversial and is uh, often edited or trimmed for TV that's, versions That's today. crazy. Like, it's not even that full on. No, I know, but it's, you know, back then it's... <laughs> you know, but today if they're doing it still. Mm. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, it is a very unique film that um, I, I'm very happy I've finally gotten to see and yeah, it's, I'm glad I watched that it, it is one that I think I might actually eventually go back to like it's a nice like Halloween season film because it's, it's a good sh- Sunday Arvo movie yeah it, it because it's not like a, it's not that hard it's not a hard film to watch and it's got really striking visuals yeah. and it's just cool yeah it is I agree it yeah. a good, it's a good film I, li- it, I liked it <laughs> as much as I was negative about it mm. I still liked it and enjoyed it it's yeah. just it's, it's not just, often to get to actually just describe a film on the Criterion Quest as it's just cool <laughs> it is just a cool movie it's just cool yeah um, so we'll go into the actual Criterion edition itself uh, so the film is available as a one disc DVD or a one disc Blu-ray it's also up, available up on the Criterion channel and it comes with the special features of Blood of the Beast, George Franju's 1949 documentary about the slaughterhouse of Paris. Oh, interesting. Yeah, apparently that was kind of what got he- him kind of noticed yeah, you, as a director. Yeah, you mentioned he was yeah. a documentarian before. And so he did a uh, short documentary, I think it's like 40 minutes, about a slaughterhouse. Oh, cool. An unflinching look at a oh, slaughterhouse. Really? Yeah, apparently it's really great. So that's up on the Criterion channel. It's on the DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, archival interviews with Franju on the horror genre. Did he do anything after this? Yeah, yeah, quite, quite a few, okay. yeah. But this was kind of his first um, fiction, yeah, fictional yeah. film, non-documentary film. Uh, so archival interviews of Franju on the horror genre, cinema and the making of the Blood of, uh, Blood of the Beast. A uh, new interview with actor Edith Scobb, that's on the Blu-ray only. Uh, excerpts from Le Grand Père du Crime, a 1985 documentary about eyes without a face with authors... Pierre Boulot and Thomas 
uh, NASA Jack. Uh, trailers, as well as the usual booklet and essays that Criterion usually do. Mm. Yeah, so a pretty standard, good edition. <laughs> I think the, the inclusion of his documentary is the is the real moneymaker there. Yeah. 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 But um I guess any final thoughts? I think we've said pretty much everything that we need to say about this. Well yeah. I have anyway. The only other stuff I've got to say is silly, and we don't want to hear about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh let's use this opportunity to uh, shamelessly promote uh, the other podcast, shall we? Oh yes, you haven't seen that, which is our take with minus Eric, Toby and Chris's uh, view on movies that Toby never got to see, well, neglected to see, that he should have seen that are considered classics. Wow, we need to work on your sales pitch. <laughs> yeah, so, uh... Should we do that again? No, no, it was perfect. <laughs> nah, you nailed it, buddy. <laughs> no, we're, um, Put me on the spot there. Yeah, so we, we've, uh, we're doing a spin-off from the You Haven't Seen That show, um... Where T- Toby's watching classic movies. Um, Boy, have we seen some classics. Yeah, I think... Uh, the first episode is Braveheart. Yep, I have not seen Braveheart until just recently. Uh, and I loved it. Yep, and the uh, the next episode that will be coming out uh, in, I think, it's a week's time is... Even better, West Side Story. Yes. Uh, and then, you know, we've got some down the pike, like uh, Citizen Kane, Chinatown. Uh, we're going to... Explore all these classic movies from the perspective of someone who's never seen them. Yeah, a stupid 35-year-old who just had better things to do in his youth. Yep. Un- <laughs> unlike me, who watched all the movies. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you're interested in that, uh, it's, you haven't seen that with a question mark, exclamation mark. I've plugged in enough on this show before, but check that out. Uh, the only other thing is, uh, if you're enjoying horror movies this time of year, jump over to the Criterion Quest Patreon page, where... Uh, Lee and myself and a slew of guests are doing commentary tracks uh, for some of our favourite game-changing horror movies. Mm. So uh, head over there. I'll link to it in the episode as always. But otherwise, if you have any comments or queries or anything, you can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com or you can follow me on Twitter at CriterionQuest. Otherwise, we will be back in a fortnight's time with a Bergman epic. (laughs) Uh, Lee and I are going to sit down and watch Fanny and Alexander. Sounds like fun. Yes, and I will say we're probably going to just do the theatrical version. <laughs> not the six-hour TV version, but... Why not? We'll, we'll see, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, so tune in next uh, in a fortnight's time for that episode. But otherwise, thanks for joining me, Toby. You're welcome, Christopher. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, for this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Toby. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.